Welcome everyone to True Real Estate Horror Stories. I am your host, Mike McNamara with the McNamara Group at Coldwell Banker Premier Realty here in Las Vegas, Nevada. My next guest is Neil Schwartz. So I'm just going to read from his bio because of how much he's been involved uh, in the real estate industry. So for 25 years, uh, Neil has been on the board of directors. He's been uh, um, on the MLS committee. He's been chairing the GLVAR forms committee, sitting on the professional standards committee and became a senior instructor on the GLVAR uh, faculty. Uh, In 2009, he was uh, Greater Las Vegas Board of Realtors um, uh, Realtor of the Year. And in 2013, Governor Sandoval appointed Neil to the Real Estate Commission. So you're about to hear from the top of the top of the ladder of somebody who knows what they're doing, has probably heard every story in the book and has even changed our industry with the laws, with the regulations, with everything that um, you know we do to, to have a better industry, this man's been a part of it. So I'm super excited for you to hear him speak, hear his story, and let's get to it. All right, we, we are recording. I have Neil Schwartz here in front of me. Thank you for being on. I appreciate it. Um, I'm super excited to have you here. Uh, you've been in the industry for so many years and you, you know, you've been a part of the Nevada real estate division. You've been really a part of everything that goes on in the real estate industry, all the different areas. And so I'm looking forward to hearing your, your story. I'm looking forward to a lot of the education that you're about to bring. So thanks for coming on. Well, thank you very much. Yes. I've I've been in the business 32 years, Yeah, actually 34 years. Uh, I, went into the business when I was 42. Yeah. Uh, that's a, a story in itself. Uh, I was uh, in show business. For I was going to say you had a unique uh, background yeah, before this. Yeah, and dance. I did Broadway shows. I played uh, bags on Happy Days yep. for three years. And I did uh, movies and television. And my, I had two, I have two children. Uh, actually, one of my child, one of my children today is 50 years old. Wow. And, uh, when I was 42, I was living in Southern California, and I was doing television shows, and I was in my pool one day uh, on a Tuesday, uh, floating, and waiting for my agent to call, waiting for my agent to call, <laughs> waiting for my agent to call, yeah. and uh, it wasn't really happening, and my kids were getting to a point where they were getting close to uh, college, and they were both they were both very smart kids. They take after my wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, I needed to make sure that I was able to afford what they needed to be. And right at this point, that wasn't going to happen. So uh, the first thing I did was I said, okay, what am I doing here? Yeah. And I think I got to make a change. And the natural change for me was was real estate. Yeah. And the reason I believe that is because as I was a performer for many, many years, and uh, when you're a real estate agent, you're really a performer. Yeah. Well, and, and what's funny is that's how I got into the industry, not being a performer before, but the person that brought me in was Levert Benefield, who was Celine Dion's head dancer. Mm. And so I was very familiar with the whole performing. And it was funny because that's almost exactly what he said was, you know, he felt real estate called him immediately um, coming from performing to real estate. And so it's very similar stories. Yeah. yeah a lot, what the agents really have to understand is they're in show business. Yeah. They're up, they are performing yep. they're in front of an audience. They wear a costume when they go to work. They dress mm-hmm. in a certain manner. They say should be saying the exact same things as a, in a canned presentation as performers do on the stage. I mean, I did a Broadway show for 365 days. 
every every day and every night when I did the show, I did the same song, the same dance, told the same jokes, got the same applause, and got paid every week. Yeah. But I said the same thing every single day. Yep. The only thing that changed was the audience. Yeah. So I'm a strong believer in having agents learn the objections that they that we get in our business all the time mm-hmm. in advance and have answers for them. Yeah, I agree. And I think uh, a good agent really takes that to heart. And they, I mean, I know when I got into it, it was four years of script building, pra- um, script practice, uh, objection handlers um, that we were calling three to four hours a morning. So, I mean, it's it's part of, of learning the trade. Yeah, and, and what I learned early on, I was very fortunate uh, when I got into the business, I did fairly well very quickly. And of course, uh, the management company or the company I was dealing with in, in California said, oh, you're great. Why don't you become the assistant manager and help us out? Which was a mistake. Mm. I should have mm. concentrated <laughs> on real estate. But the situation was, I, I, I did do that. But in that position, I got the opportunity to go around and listen to different speakers and seminars that were promoting real estate. Mm-hmm. And I, I heard them all. Now, this is 30-something years ago. And I got an opportunity to uh, do a seminar by Mike Ferry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's really all it took. I, yeah. I am what I consider a Mike Ferryite. Uh, the only reason, uh, I, reason I stuck with Mike and his ability to, to make us do great things in our business was he was the only speaker at that time who actually treated our business as a business as a business i agree and I agree. Um, unfortunately a lot of agents don't really understand that yeah i would completely agree well to start with your story i usually like to give a little bit of um or i'd like you to give a little bit of a background of who you who uh if you represent if this is something that you represent or if this is just a story but maybe like the price point of the property or just some detail of that before you get started and then it's all you uh I, let me see if I really understand the question. Uh, yep. Repeat that again. What, so um, the story that you're going to tell, um, possibly if you have any of this detail, I know that this is, is this from when you were on the board or is oh, this? Oh, the story. I, oh, well, yes. that's, uh, that story. Yes. Oh, that, that story. story. Okay. <laughs> well, <it's, laughs> now I understand. Uh, I was very fortunate uh, to uh, get uh, asked about seven years ago if I would be interested in running for a, a commission position. Yep. There are uh, five real estate commissioners in the state of Nevada. We serve uh, three three year terms, and we can serve consecutively another third year, so we can do six years. Mm-hmm. And so I was very pleased that uh, I was asked to be on it, and I was chosen as one of the commissioners. And it was a great, great learning experience, and it really uh, kept my eyes wide open uh, to what was going on. We don't know. We you know everybody thinks the real estate commission just does fines and takes licenses away. And we do. Mm-hmm. But we do a lot of other things in education and, in, and in making our business work better and making our classes better and all those areas. But uh, we sometimes we would hear hearings and uh, with some great stories and we really couldn't believe some of them. But <laughs> there was one that went on where uh, a uh, seller was at work. He got a, a phone call from his uh kid's school she was in elementary school mm-hmm. she was 10 years old that she wasn't feeling well and that he would need to come in and pick her up so he left his office in the morning got over there about 10 o'clock or so and picked up his daughter and and took her home now the house that he they were living in was presently on the market it was listed had a sign in front had a key safe on it everything so they go into the house and once they get through the front door uh 
the father says to his daughter, would you go down to the bedroom, mm-hmm. uh, my bedroom, and get, get something. I forgot what exactly it was. And she was there for a while. She came back. She was hysterical, crying. And she, he said, what's the matter? He said, Dad, there are two naked people in your bed. <laughs> well, after the seller sort of regained consciousness. I don't know what I would do. He <laughs> walked back down to the bedroom, and there were actually two people, a man and a woman, on each side of the bed getting dressed. Mm-hmm. And he, he was just stunned. And as the gentleman finished getting dressed, he, as he walked past the buyer, the seller, and he said, I guess I should put the key back in the key safe. <laughs> and he walked right out, put in the key safe, and left. Well, after a slight recovery period, the, the seller called his agent and told him the story. And the agent said, I'll be right over there. I can read the key safe and find out who was in the property. Absolutely. Which they did. So they discovered who was in the property. They reported it to their broker. Their broker called the other broker whose agent it was. Uh, long story short, yeah, the attorneys were called and all that. And the other broker fired mm-hmm. his agent. But when they opened up the key safe and read how many times it was accessed, they discovered that this particular agent had been in that house 10 times out of the last 15 days. Jeez. Jeez. Needless to say, uh, the commission was uh, quite uh, <laughs> interested in that story. And needless to say, uh, not only did uh, he get fined, uh, but he lost his license. I was just about to say, after listening to what Devin talked about, the two situations last week, um, and then listening to this one, I knew he lost his license because for an agent to really cross a line like the this far, to um, you know, more than a fine needs to happen because, I mean, it's just, it's surprising. It's surprising that people are willing to take that risk with their career. And I think it goes back to a little bit of what you were saying how people don't treat this as a career, you know, because would you be doing that in the bathroom of your employer's office? You just wouldn't be doing that. And yeah, when I talk to agents and I, I, one of the things I'm fortunate to do now a lot is I teach a lot of the continuing education classes. I I write my own. Uh, Matter of fact, the one I taught yesterday was called uh, it's showtime Mm -hmm. presentation. And it talks about presenting because, you know, I was taught there are three things that an agent needs to do every single day if they want to stay in this business. They either they have to prospect, mm-hmm. they have to present, they have to close. Yep. And I usually ask uh, lots of agents what they think is the most important of those three. And I usually get a, get a class where most likely uh, a majority will say prospecting because if you don't prospect, you can't do business. You don't have the business. Some of them will say presentation and others will say, oh, the close is the most important. Yeah. And the reality is the way I was taught and the truth of it is it's not the prospecting and it's not the closing. It's the presentation. The presentation. Because if you don't know what to say, then you really won't prospect because you won't embarrass yourself. You won't be able to handle rejection. You won't unless... have the confidence. Right. Absolutely. And if you got a great presentation, the closing is a natural ending. It happens. It just happens. Where do I sign? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, if your presentation answers all the objections uh, that a seller or a buyer might have, then it's pretty simple. Yeah. We know what the objections are. They haven't changed in years. Mm-hmm. I don't know of any real new ones. So if an agent would be uh, interested enough to know what the objections are coming, learn some answers, yeah, it would all be over. Yeah, absolutely. And and since you're so um, you've been around so long, you've seen all of you know these these random stories. 
uh, when it comes to, and we talked about this a little bit before we started in regards to EMD, uh, what do you see the biggest mistake people making with earnest money deposit? Well, right now, uh, we changed, uh, I've been fortunate also to be a chairman of the forms committee uh, for a while and worked on the forms committee along with my wife. And that's the committee at the association that puts together, along with the attorney, mm-hmm. our contracts. The contracts are written by the attorneys, and that's why we use them. And that's why we get E&O insurance, because we've, we've promised the E&O companies that we'll use standardized contracts. And so uh, we separated out this deposit, earnest money deposit situation. The old contract used to say it was a, a purchase agreement and, and, and a deposit. That is not there anymore. The purchase agreement has nothing to do with the deposit. It mentions that there's earnest money, mm-hmm. but it's not contingent on the earnest money anymore. Unless, okay. unless after a specific time it would be. But you can accept an offer tonight, and you can not have a check for earnest money, or you can say it's going to be wired in four days, but you could still have an accepted offer tonight if everybody signed and it's, con- and it's sent back. Mm-hmm. What happens is there is a separate form now that talks about the earnest money. Now okay. I'm talking about I'm not talking about the wired situation. But if you get actually get a check, yeah, there's a separate form now which the agents need to fill out. Because here's what happens, and and I'm sure you've all experienced that. If a deal is going to go south in the first couple of days, the first question the seller is going to have is, where's the earnest money? Absolutely. If a deal goes south in the first couple of days, the first question the buyer is going to say is, where's the earnest money? Mm-hmm. And we've had a lot of cases at this at the division where this came up as a fact that the agents did not handle the earnest money properly and put it where it needs to be. It needs to be deposited in one day, one business day. And some of the agents were holding on to it for longer than that. Gotcha. Uh, some of the agents were, in one case, and it was a big case up north, uh, the agent was lazy. And what the agent did was uh, required, in most cases, their buyer to go over to the escrow company themselves to put the earnest money in, but we, but, but when? Uh-huh. One day, two days, five days? Yeah. So that is something that the agents really need to look at. The way the contract's written now, the purchase agreement, you can either give me a check today as, as the agent, or you can wire the funds. Correct. Now, if you put down that the funds could be wired in four, going to be wired in four days, you, you, you still have a, a binding contract. But after the fourth day, if that earnest money does not show up, then there's a possible default. Gotcha. So if another offer came in, let's say on day five, and earnest money was not there, the seller legally would be able to walk away from that contract and move on to the other contract. But if another offer came in between day one and day four, you still have an accepted offer. You can't accept another offer. Gotcha. That makes sense. And the other thing that's been going on, and I I still can't figure it out, maybe you can, the people keep talking about backup offers. There's yeah. really no such thing as a backup offer. I mean, you can say to somebody, hey, listen, if that falls through, let me know and I'll write you an offer. But you can't write an offer today, quote, as a backup offer and put all the terms and conditions and timing in it when you don't know if that's even going to be coming into effect for a <laughs> week, two weeks, or three weeks. Yeah. So backup offers to me don't make any sense. They're well, I think, and, 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 and quote, correct me if I'm wrong, was did backup offers really come into play like come into play when we were dealing with the crazy market, you know, before the crash and everybody was putting in these offers and they just wanted an offer in there? Is that what started that or has well, it always been a backup around? offer doesn't really start until after there's one already accepted. Right. When we were in that crazy period, we you know, you get 10, 15 offers on a property. Mm-hmm. Nothing's been accepted yet. Mm-hmm. And so that's when multiple offers 
came gotcha. into effect. And that's when we changed some uh, contracts to be able to make multiple offers really very, very good advantage for the seller. Gotcha. Uh, and, and without making sure that there's no problems with that. Gotcha. Because, yeah, because when I first got into the industry, and this was uh, 09, so the market just crashed, I actually bought my first house. And I got my first house off of a quote, backup offer. Um, uh, my, you know, Lavert was my agent. Right. He, he put it in and they, they accepted something else and they asked if we wanted to be back up and they came back to me. But what was funny is we still had to redo the contract. Exactly. Cause you have to redo all the timelines. You have to redo everything. Exactly. So basically what I tell people is says, listen, we have an accepted offer. Uh, I've got your information. I will make sure that as soon as if something happens to it, mm -hmm. then I will get back to you. And if your buyer is still available, then Perfect. let's put together another offer. So that's really what I, I like to do. I think that's best practices. Gotcha. And that's another thing. We have uh, and, and uh, we have a code of ethics. We right. have a statute. We have uh, an administrative code. But we also, I believe, have a thing called best practices. Mm -hmm. And uh, lots of times we have to look at what we do. And it might not be covered by this law or might not be covered by the code. But is the best way to do our business. Yeah, and, I agree. Uh, lots of times judges will, will look at that too. They'll look at the law and they'll look at, at the code of ethics, too. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things we have situation is most agents don't really understand how powerful the code of ethics is. Right. Uh, the judges ex understand it because I've seen cases where uh, the uh, someone has gone to the association. They've got a, a they had a hearing, code of ethics hearing. They were they were found in favor. They had a judgment. The other party wouldn't pay. Mm -hmm. They wound up going to the courts mm -hmm. uh, in, in front of the judge. And when the judge noticed that the person had an, uh, uh, an approval from the association on a code of ethics violation and found in favor of him, the judges understand the power of that. And they would right. usually use that in their uh, last in their decision of what they're going to do. Right. One of the things I can suggest to the agents, uh, and I ask this in all my classes, and it's just, it's it's I'm sometimes embarrassed that they don't do it. <laughs> Every agent now has a website. Yeah. But the question I have to them is, do you have a copy of the code of ethics on your website for your clients to be able to point that you're able to point to, to show them. I'm, I'm making a about? note as you're speaking right now, because I do not. And I have a custom website and I do not have that on and there. And see, I should, everybody, I should. It's, we should be more proud of it yeah. than we are. It's a, it's a, it's, it's really a, an incredible tool for us. And there are a lot of industries that have codes. Yeah. A lot of businesses, uh, nurses have codes, doctors have codes, the IRS agents have codes. A lot of people, even baseball players have a code <laughs> of ethics. Of a, yeah. So there are a lot of people understand what a, a code of ethics, if that's what it's called or whatever it's called, understand mm -hmm. that. And when if you say to somebody, listen, I, I will abide by and this is the way I work and I have uh, under a code of ethics. But to have it on your website and say, hey, listen, if you're more interested in how you're going to be treated... I, I have a code of ethics. Here it is, and click on it. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't cost anything. Absolutely, no. It's it's going to happen. I'm going to have my developer put it on for sure because <laughs> it's it's funny. Yeah, it's just great, and I've never thought about having that on my website. But I think it's a great thing to add, and I think it shows professionalism, and it shows that you do pay attention to these things, to these yeah. items. Uh, one more thing around the earnest money deposit, and I think we can call it after that. Um, the part that I what I do in my business and correct me if this is the, what I shouldn't do, but when my offers get accepted immediately, when I get it accepted, um, my assistant knows I hand it into her, whether if it's late at night, she'll do it the next morning. Are you but, talking about an actual check? 
Um, I'm actually talking about before I get the check, before the wire's done, I take the property off the market and I put it into C status. Mm -hmm. And countless times I have agents doing the complete opposite. They do not put it into C status until the property has has uh, until they've received yeah. the earnest money and deposit. In, and that's incorrect. One has nothing that's to do with I the thought. other. Okay. You have under the, on the MLS rules, you need to change that from uh, active, mm -hmm. from ER to whether it's contingent within two business days. Within two business it's days. It's not okay. the acceptance and that's not contingent on whether you have the check. If in fact in the contract, the check is not going to be there for four days, let's say in a wire. But once you have that, you have an agreement. It's not based on whether, whether you have the the earnest, the money, earnest or money or not right right, right. it's a, it's a binding contract if it's communicated back okay and that's the other thing agents have to remember because i made the mistake listen 34 years in the business i've made every mistake <laughs> made a lot myself <laughs> uh, but you know a deal is not a binding deal until it's communicated back to the other party give you an example uh, i'll just make one up for instance so last so last night i i had an offer for my for my buyer i got a counter offer my buyer agreed to the counter and we signed it and we dated and we timed it and it was you know 11 o'clock at night mm -hmm. uh, i was tired uh, i went to bed i didn't do anything more than said i'll wait till this morning to send it back to the listing agent to confirm the yep. deal yep. well only to find out that at 12 o'clock last night another offer came in they went back and forth. They completed an offer. The buyer got it back and the seller got it back and they had a, a binding offer. Mine was not binding yet because I didn't send it back. you didn't send it to them. So, yeah. And when you send anything, you need to send it in the read receipt hmm. or uh, so they know that you've got the deal. Oh, I see. So that you'll know. So if you do the read receipt, they're gonna. You'll know if they've opened the email. Well, even if they it. don't even have to open it. There's a read receipt, and there was a. There's another kind of receipt, and I have it in a book. I forgot. But when I send it back to the listing agent, I know that it went to his computer. Gotcha. That he doesn't have to open it. He doesn't have to even read it. It's that. That is will be considered. I think confirmation. Yep, I have that on my computer. Yeah, all the computers can yep. do it. So you yep. got to get into used to doing that and make sure you confirm it back. So yeah. yeah. Well, great. Well, I um, I love this. Thank you again so much for your time. <laughs> You're welcome. And, it was um, great. If you ever have any other stories that you come across, to, you know, well, as my you're friend going. Devin told the, <laughs> the, the, the two best stories. But just let I me did. just when the. Well, when the gentleman came down, he told the story about the naked repairman. Yes, he did. And uh, when he, the gentleman stood up in the back of the, of the room, he had to walk down. Because remember, it's a public hearing. Yeah. And when he walked down, the state attorney general, I don't know if uh, Devin mentioned, he did. has to read the factual allegations <laughs> out loud in front of an audience. There were 250 agents at that particular meeting. Oh, my gosh. And we were looking at them, and you could see every one of them mouths just... Hanging white. <laughs> I can't even imagine. Yeah. And, and, this, and the last thing, too, for those agents yeah. listening, uh, especially here in the Clark County area, it, we're, in, we're in COVID now, so all the commission hearings are done online. But when we go back to live hearings again, mm -hmm. agents understand that not only can, are they welcome to sign up to come to the hearings, they should, but they also can get up to six hours of free CE credit. Oh, coming to the hearings. Coming I did not know that. Okay. So you can get ethics, you can get agency, you can get broker management and uh, legislative law. Oh, that's if great. If you stay three hours in the morning, you get three hours. If you stay the whole day, you get six hours and, and it's free. So Yeah, and, and, and not only is it free, but it's also, you know, if you come across some of these stories, I'm, and I'm sure there's other ones, it's going to be very entertaining. And that's the way I learned. That's why I did this. Yeah. 
podcast. It's how I teach my agents is from experiences that I've had, what what I've changed in my business because of those experiences right. and what I've learned from other stories and right. stuff like that. So, Great. well, thank you again, well, Neil. Thank you I for appreciate it. Me. I appreciate it. Hope you invite me back. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks again. Thank you for listening. And if you're a real estate agent and you have your own true real estate horror story, please email us at the email in the description. And we'd love to have you on the podcast. Have a great day.